Have you ever made a decision? This is really a dumb question. Have you ever made a decision you wish you could have back? Like 842, right? Um, I was thinking about in, in history or in America or whatever, um, you know, as you, you go through, sometimes if you go on the Internet, you can just find a plethora of bad decisions, bad military decisions, bad business decisions, bad entertainment decisions, all sorts of bad decisions. And I was uh, looking at a few of these, and one of my, several are my favorite uh, of just historically bad decisions. Uh, one was uh, a gentleman in the, in the mid-50s who was auditioning to get a record contract and was singing, and the record producer uh, uh, told him uh, to not quit his day job as a truck driver, that he'll never make it in the business. And so Elvis Presley went on to uh, do quite well from that bad decision of that record producer not signing him. Um, uh, the author of uh, J.K. Rowling, uh, the author of the Harry Potter series, she uh, tried to get that published, and 12 different publishers said, forget it. Some of you are familiar with the Left Behind book series. A good friend of mine, Wendell Hawley, uh, used to be vice president of Tyndale House Publishers. They're the big, one of the big Christian publishing companies. The New Living Translation is, and uh, in fact, it was started by uh, Ken Taylor, who in his uh, garage printed the first copies of the Living Bible. Anybody ever heard of that? That's what the New Living Translation is, kind of the inheritor of that. And uh, he tried, he worked for Moody Press in Chicago and took the train in every day from the suburbs of Wheaton out to Chicago. And he uh, developed the, what was the Living Bible. He didn't call it that. He was just trying to help his children with their devotions by writing some stories in everyday language. And a few people saw this and said, hey, you ought to try to get that published. Nobody would touch it. Nobody would publish it. So he mortgaged a little bit of his money and made a few copies. And in God's providence, one of those copies, it wasn't the whole Bible. It was like the living gospel of John. It was, you know, that was all he did. And then one of those little booklets that he had self-published got in the hands of somebody that was Billy Graham's associate. And Billy Graham got that book and said, I want this in all my crusades. And then, as they say, the rest is history. But my friend Wendell Hawley, who was vice president, uh, Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye had um, uh, kind of proposed this idea of a novel uh, around the end times kind of scenario. And Wendell Hawley, being the vice president, uh, went to the you know, publisher, or the president, and they were talking about it, and Wendell said, you know what, let's pass on this. This will never, nobody's going to read this. Well, fortunately, they, they did not take his advice and did it. And, of course, you know what, how that has sold. Um, in 1962, Decca Records passed on a uh, band uh, because they said that four-piece guitar bands were on the way out. And, of course, the Beatles went on to kind of prove that wrong. So there you go. I did not know this. I thought this was fascinating. Uh, Eastman Kodak. Remember Kodak film? You know, the little car. I saw a movie. Remember those real skinny little cameras? You could put it, you know, and I had one of those. And, of course, I had other incarnations of those cameras. I did not realize that the Eastman Kodak Company... Uh, actually had developed the technology for the first digital camera in 1975 and even the core technology used for cell phones. But you know what they did? They sat on it because they thought it would infringe on their ability to self-film. Eastman Kodak at that time had 90% of the American or really worldwide market on film. Not a good decision today. Has anybody bought any 35 millimeter film in this past week? I thought that was amazing. Now, this, this is really good. Uh, all right, little quiz. You think, what does this have to do? Well, just wait. What candy did E.T. eat in the movie? What is it called? Do you realize Reese's Pieces did not exist until that movie? And you know why? Steven Spielberg, the director and the producer of E.T., went to the Mars Candy Company to get permission for E.T. to eat M&M's. 
the brain, the, the, the brain trusts at the Mars Candy Company said, we'll pass on that. So they went to Hershey's, and Hershey said, Absolutely, we'll make something. And they invented Reese's Pieces and got 30 or $40 million of free advertising and the rest. Of, that's a bad decision, right? Those are bad decisions. Well, this morning we want to talk about how to make decisions God's way. And we're going to look at uh, primarily in the Proverbs and, you know, this summer just doing some topical, some different messages. In a couple of weeks, going to start a uh, five-week, just a short series on the book of Jonah. want to do some Old Testament things, and then following that, we're going to uh, take uh, some time and uh, look at the book of Exodus on Sunday mornings and uh, spend a little time in the Old Testament. But uh, until then, we're just, just rounding out some things that just the Lord's uh, put on my heart to just share the flock, and if it encourages me and feeds me, it might uh, feed somebody else. But you know what? We all face decisions every day. We make decisions. We make choices every day. And as Christians, we <clears throat> should desire and want to make the, the, not just good decisions, but godly decisions, decisions where we need wisdom. We need the wisdom of God. Now, some decisions are trivial. Uh, do I buy the uh, Publix ice cream too for, now it's gone up, you know, I know these things and I haven't bought, you know, or do I think, you know, these pants, they're feeling a little, I better pass on those two for one, you know, uh, ice cream, or that was a trivial, I don't, you know, you don't think, maybe we should pray about it, but I usually don't. Those are trivial things, but most of the decisions that come against us are things that really are decisions with our family and finances and uh, things that will affect long-term choices, and, and those are things where we really need, as believers, we really need to, uh, to make wise decisions. That's what the Bible calls wisdom, to have wisdom. And, uh, and I, this morning, and just uh, woke up early on Sunday mornings, and a lot of times, which I know I probably shouldn't do this, sometimes I just reach over, grab my phone, and, and, uh, but I do have things on there, devotional things that sometimes I look at, and I, thought, I saw this uh, from Charles Stanley, and I thought, wow, that just fits perfectly. So I printed it out just to help us uh, introduce this. And talk, we're going to look at Proverbs, and a lot of people... Uh, they have a lot of ways that, uh, and not, hopefully not Christians, but different ways that people seek uh, to make decision-making. You know, there are still places, uh, you see them here and there, and uh, when I was in Illinois, you'd always see them out on the poor end of town, uh, you know, people that would, uh, you could pay them money to do the psychic readings. And I never understood why they live in little dinky shacks. If I could, if I knew the future... Would that it be more impressive if they were like in some kind of mansion? You know, I mean, but uh, anyway, I'll, I'll pass on that. Uh, horoscopes, uh, remember the uh, psychic uh, hotlines? Call me now. Remember her? Remember her, the, the woman on the psychic hotline? I mean, you think that's crazy, but you know what? It wouldn't, it's crazy that people, the millions and millions of dollars people spend on that in search of decision-making, and we make lists and flip a coin, or, you know, in the Bible that there was incidences where they cast lots, and the Old Testament, there was these stones, the Urim and the Thummim, that, of course, those are things that we as Christians, we don't need to worry about today, but we have been given uh, wisdom in God's Word, we have, have the Holy Spirit, and so we want to learn how do we leverage these things into making good choices and good decisions. So listen to something that Charles Stanley wrote and I thought was, was good, and it connects to Proverbs. He says, a Proverbs says that when we choose to align our heart with God's truth, and that's what we're talking about, is how do we align our hearts to God's truth? Proverbs helps us to do that, align our heart with God's truth, uh, that we will find favor in God's sight. Not only will we have protection, clear guidance, and intimacy with the Father, but we'll also receive power to walk uh, uprightly before him. And listen to what he says about wisdom. Wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is understanding God's perspective on situations and responding accordingly. That's what biblical wisdom is, is to understand what does God have to say 
And then if God says it, how do I respond based upon that understanding? Wisdom is understanding God's perspective on situations and responding accordingly. It brings us the strength to stand firm in our faith and choose God's way. It also helps us to calmly accept the hardships in our life. Our sovereign God knows the extent of our difficulties. Out of his love for us, he never gives us more than we can handle and uses even our darkest hours for his good purposes. Wise people, wise people, Stanley says, are convinced that this is true and they enjoy the supernatural peace and live in the Lord's favor. That's wisdom. One person I remember uh, defined wisdom is no is the right application of your knowledge. Just knowing a bunch of stuff, you ever wonder how could a person be so smart and do something so dumb? I've thought about that about my own life, but we'll save that for another time. But so it isn't just lots of knowledge, but it's knowledge with wisdom. Okay? The right application of truth, God's way, the, what God says. And uh, we're going to look at a couple of Proverbs and, in just a second. But when we think of wisdom in the Old Testament or in the Bible, I always think of Solomon. You know, we sometimes call him the wisest man. Well, if you know anything about Solomon, he wasn't always so wise, was he? Uh, but, we'll, uh, that's a, but when God asked him, what can I give you? Young Solomon, who was the son of David, and God asked Solomon, what is it that I can give you? You'd think it could be wealth and riches and all those type of things. Are we having a shotgun party out here? Did you hear that? Was that the speaker? <laughs> hey, we are in Kathleen, so you never know. So uh, Sunday morning in the rain, good time to go out and shoot guns. Um, God said, what can I give you, Solomon? And in Second Chronicles 1, you just listen here, I'll paraphrase it. The Lord says, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon answered, give me wisdom and knowledge. Notice what he asked, give me wisdom and knowledge. And God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire, wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. If you know anything about Solomon, people came from all over uh, to, to, to listen to his wisdom and his counsel. But this morning, I want us to look at um, a few Proverbs, and they should be on the screen here uh, momentarily. The first is in Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. You can just look at these on the screen and, um, and listen as I read. The Bible says, trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3 is a great place to go ahead and open your Bibles because we'll look at other Proverbs, but on the screen in the NIV, using that primarily today. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he, God, will make your path straight. And a few verses down, it likens wisdom to a person. Verses 13 through 18 of Proverbs 3. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. For she, personalizing like a person, for she, wisdom is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She, talking about wisdom, is more precious than rubies. Nothing you can desire can compare with her, with wisdom. Long life is in wisdom's right hand, in her right hand, in her left hand, are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She, wisdom, is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast, talking about wisdom, will be blessed. And one scripture from James 1.5, a promise in the context, if any of you are suffering, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives how? Generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Let's pray one more time before we dive in. Father, we thank you for, Lord, the rain that we hear, and uh, Lord, there's so many people around the world that do not have the abundance of rain. Let us not be 
grumblers, even though we have an abundance of rain. Thank you for the rain. And Lord, again, let it just uh, soak and replenish the earth. Thank you for the green grass and Lord, the flowers, let it be a benefit to all those whose livelihood depends on agriculture and their families and finances. So we thank you for this rain that we hear. Thank you for your, uh, your word. Thank you for the life that the word brings to us. So open our hearts and ears of, to give us understanding. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs is a wonderful book to use if you're not in the habit of doing any type of daily uh, reading in Scripture. You can, there's 31 Proverbs, and so basically you can read a proverb a day for a month. That's just an easy way to get engaged in the Word of God. But when we are uh, sometimes in, in decisions that we need to make, I remember when I was uh, a season when I was um, living in Arizona, and I was having to come to the place of making a decision, or my family was, but I was there and was primarily the one that kind of had to take the lead on it, of looking to put uh, my mother, who was decision as far as putting her in a nursing home, uh, I just, listen, I kicked that can down the road as far as I, I did not want to make that decision. Any time I would start to get engaged in the process, I'd pull back and think, well, I'll look at it tomorrow, I'll look at it next week. And I just dreaded that process and that decision. That was a difficult situation, but uh, God had other plans and took her home before uh, that uh, uh, needed to be made. But I just remember how that almost, that kind of decision just, I felt paralyzed. You ever felt like that? When you had to face something of uncertainty, it may be the health of a, of a loved one, it may be a, a, a change in job, whatever. It's almost like the, the, the uncertainty in the process of making that decision, you just somehow feel paralyzed, like, like I can't move, I, I can't make this decision. But sometimes it's because we need to have a refocus that God is with us. He, is, he, he promised that he will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll never abandon us. And he is an ever-present help in times of trouble and even times of decision-making. Proverbs 16.9 says, in his heart, a, man's, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. I believe in the sovereignty of God, but that does not negate the human process that we engage with in making decisions and making wise decisions, okay? So this morning, I want us to look at some principles concerning making decisions God's way, biblical principles. I like um, I like principles in Scripture, because situations uh, may change, but the principles of God's Word never change. They're timeless, right? And that's the reason oftentimes when we look at, you know, there's not a, there's not a chapter and verse of whether you should buy a new car or buy a used car. There's not a chapter and verse on that. There's not a scripture, but there's principles of stewardship that come into play. So that's where it's good to look at principles of Scripture, and we're going to do that this morning, being that this is a little more of a topical message. But notice, first of all, regarding making decisions, how to make decisions God's way. We'll go through these uh, uh, hopefully uh, quickly here because we have several. Number one, that you should ask yourself, and here's a little, here's a statement to the wise. I know this church has a lot of you that have photographic memories because I see it every Sunday morning. You just, you, you know the word. But some of you might do well to take a pencil and a paper and write some of these things down. So for those of you that need to write something down, I would encourage you to do this. And because you know what, this, don't do it to humor me. This is the word of the Lord. And this is something that, that is helpful to us. So be engaged, be an, an intentional listener this morning. And uh, I believe the Lord will honor that and encourage him. But number one, in making decisions God's way, how to make them God's way, number one, is does this decision obey Scripture? Does this decision obey Scripture? Psalm 119, verse 24, your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. You see, the first place we should begin is, what does God's word have to say about this? It may not address specifically 
the particulars, but I assure you there is a principle and truth that the Bible addresses. What does the Bible say? Psalm 119, 103, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word brings light. God's word brings clarity, the spirit, the word working together. Just as driving at night at 65 miles per hour with the lights off on a rural road could be deadly, so making decisions without the illumination of God's word can also be deadly in the sense of you may not necessarily die, but it could be if you make a wrong decision on something of, of a, that's of a fatal nature. But it certainly can bring death to a situation when we want life. We want the light of God's word. Proverbs 2, and some of these I'm just uh, going to read to you. In Proverbs 2, 12, wisdom will save you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. From men whose words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways. Remember the book of Proverbs, Solomon wrote that primarily for his son as principles to guide him. Wisdom will save you from wicked people. What does God's word have to say on this? Should be our first stop. Now, again, the principle that we need to keep in mind here is this something that directly contradicts what God has said. Does it something that God has con- that God has made clear, and uh, God's will for our life will never contradict His word. So many times, and you've heard people say, "God told me," but what supposedly God told them goes against the principles and truths of Scripture. And I say, "No, God didn't," or maybe another God did, but not the real God. The God of your own self, like you were saying, we, we, we can say a lot to ourselves because we talk to ourselves more than anybody, and we can talk ourselves into something that is not reliable, or we say, well, you know, I woke up and I flipped the Bible open and put my finger down, and uh, that was, that. Well, I just took that as the word of the Lord. You heard about the guy that did that, and he flipped it open, and he uh, came upon the verse, and it was Judas who went and hung himself. And he said, well, I know that's not God's will. So he flipped it open. Another scripture said, whatever thou findest thy hand to do it, go and do likewise. So be careful what you do there, all right? Don't be playing little roulette games in the Bible. That's foolishness, and that's childish. But know what God has to say, and, and be willing to submit to what God has to say for your life. Not just, well, if I'm in agreement with it, then I'll obey it. But you know what? I don't like what God says here, so I'm going to do something else. You have now moved from the authority of God in your life and put yourself in authority, and certainly that is never, ever helpful. And so sometimes what God requires of us may not always be a direct answer correlation. Sometimes when we look at Scripture and we're trying to seek wisdom from the Word of the Lord, sometimes it may just say, trust and obey. Remember the old hymn, if you grew up in a a church that used to use books and hymnals, trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. How many of you are, um, don't leave me out here hanging. All right, thank you. I didn't make that up. That's a real him, Sherry Campbell, all right? So, um, Proverbs thirteen thirteen, he who scorns instruction will pay for it, but he who respects a command is rewarded. Don't despise the word of the Lord. The Bible says that all Scripture is breathed out. That's inspired. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be uh, competent and equipped for every good work. If you have a Ford, you don't go and get a manual for a Dodge to work on your Ford automobile. You get the manual, or you hope the mechanic has the manual and the expertise. Why? Because that's the manufacturer. Uh, God, this is his manual for our life. He is our creator. He knows how we're wired. He knows truth that is applicable and, and applies to our life. He knows the will of God for our life. So our first stop in decision-making is, what does God's word have to say about it? Secondly, 
have I honestly prayed about this decision? Notice I put the word honestly prayed. Because you would think if you prayed, you're being honest. But you and I both know people will say, well, I prayed about it. And I just want to say, you have not. You have not. Well, you're hearing the wrong thing because what you're saying, sometimes people will come and they've even come in this church and they've told me a decision and said, well, I prayed about it and the Lord spoke to me. And I just say, okay. I mean, you don't want my advice. You basically trump the conversation by saying, I prayed about it, God told me. And I'm like, okay, thanks for the information. See you in heaven. They're not looking for counsel. They're just basically saying, Look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, to front load this conversation at the beginning and say, I prayed about it and God's spoken to me. I just want you to rubber stamp it. As a shepherd, I'm not going to do that. I'll say, you know what, I think you're out in left field and you're wrong and you're going to regret this decision. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Time will tell. But have I prayed about it? What is the scripture? Proverbs 2, 6. For the Lord... The Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Of course, that's the word, the spirit and prayer. They work in harmony. Uh, men are notorious of not asking for directions, are we men? Uh, thank goodness for GPS. That's gotten us out of a lot of binds. But if you don't know the answer, ask for wisdom. I will confess to you. I am prone to wander around in Best Buy trying to find something than asking help. And the other night I did something really radical. I right away said, I'm in a hurry. I need to ask for help. And the guy took me right there to what I needed. Now, I will be honest with you, that's unusual in Best Buy because I can tell sometimes, you ever been there, Chris, where immediately within that nanosecond, you know more than they do? And you're going to help them find what you need in their own store. So I have to kind of give that as a little condition there. I'll edit that out so nobody from Best Buy is offended. But you know what prayer is? Prayer isn't me unloading on God, even though that's part of the confession and relationship. But, but prayer is me getting in alignment with the purposes of God for my life. We think that prayer is just kind of a one-way communication, but prayer isn't so much me setting God straight, which is a joke. Prayer is God setting me straight. Not my will, Father, but what? Yours be done. Thirdly, thirdly, does this decision, submit to godly authority and counsel. Let me explain it. I couldn't put everything up on the, on the slide there. Uh, and I'll just briefly kind of throw, throw this out there. There is a, there is a God-ordained structure of authority in Scripture. Uh, you can kind of break it down this way. There's family. That's the God-ordained structure of family. Uh, the Bible speaks about in Colossians 3. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. But then it says, husbands, love your wives. And if you, if you tie that to what Paul wrote in Ephesians, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and did what? And gave himself for it. So it's an agape, sacrificial love, if I can add that. But then he says, don't be harsh with them. And he says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So there is, first of all, there's an authority structure of the home. That has not changed. Irregardless of what government wants to do to redefine everything, God has never redefined the home, okay? That is still true, no matter what comes through Washington, okay? So the home is a structure, so if, you are, if there is disharmony and disunity in this decision process between husband and wife or, or child and parents and all those things, and that violates that, God won't honor that. There, there needs to be a respect for that authority. Does that make sense? There's also an authority structure of the church. Yes. Hebrews 13 says, To the flock, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Because the elders, the leaders, keep watch over you as men and women, as men who must give an account. The elders must give an account for the stewardship of the flock. That's an authority that God has established in the church. He says, obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. 
So you have the family structure, you have the church structure, and even in the secular governmental structure. Romans 13 talks about how God has ordained the state. He's even uh, given the authority to the state to wield the sword of protection. Now remember, when Paul wrote Romans 13, he was writing under a governmental system of pagan Romans. It wasn't that it was blue state, red state. Because God has ordained authority that we are to respect and honor that, that that is one of the ways that needs to be implemented in the decision-making process. If you're just a lone wolf, if you're just freelancing, and you want to run the red lights because you don't want to hear anybody's counsel, anybody's advice, I'm telling you, God will not bless that. God will not bless that. It goes with what Robert was saying about being together and the accountability. We don't like that word account. We don't like that together and that relational uh, aspect. Here's an example just to kind of round this out. You remember, uh, if you know the Old Testament and the story of David, remember uh, David was, uh, there was a season when even though God, uh, David had three anointings. uh, And so uh, there was a period of time between his first anointing and when he was secondly uh, anointed as over Judah and then later a third anointing over all of Israel. And that kind of gives us a little that sometimes from the, from the beginning to the throne, there's a process that God works, okay? And that's another teaching sermon someday. But in that in-between, Saul, who was the rightful legal leader of king of Israel. Remember Saul? Better call Saul, okay? Uh, that's him. Not that, no, that's not the same Saul. But uh, th- so d- he's after David. He hates David because he sees David as a threat, And there was an opportunity where Saul is sleeping in this cave. And David and his men are in this cave at night. And they had opportunity to waste him, take him out right then and there. And David, on the run, had his counselors said, this is it. If you read it, David said, this is the sovereignty of God. This is the will of God. Take him out. You are the rightful king. Now, you may not remember the story, but you'll remember this phrase where he says, shall I not touch God's anointed? Now, we use that erroneously for criticism against anybody who's in, you know, oh, don't criticize that TV preacher. Touch not God's anointed. Yeah, I'm going to touch him if they're teaching false doctrine. They need to be confronted. That's not what it's talking about. What David is saying is, if I did that, I would usurp a biblical truth of authority. Saul is the rightful king over Israel. God put him in that place. And it is God who will remove him when the time is right. And if I usurp that and I try to shortcut that circuit, guess what? God will not honor because I'm doing something unlawful in God's eyes. I'm violating an authority structure that God has ordained, and David did not do that. So just because you get counsel from your buddies, you better know God and hear God because it might not be in alignment. you got to hear and know what God says. But there's also not only God's authority, but there's another part of this and seeking, does the, does the, does the decision uh, submit not only to God's authority structure, but also to his counsel? It's all part of this same point trying to make. Godly counsel is this, and this is the verse I have up there, Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is what? Listen, I can go through multiple scenarios in this church since I've been here, when I've been thankful that we are an elder-led church because if it was just my decision-making, it would have been the wrong decision. That because there was safety and multitude of counselors and getting wisdom, that was a protection. That is, see, please hear, and this is, hit, hit pause and we'll come back. Elder-led churches, that's not a hindrance to me as your pastor. That's a safety. That's a benefit. That's a joy. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you hear what I'm saying? Some of you get it. Some of you still processing it. One-man operations is not a biblical truth. It's not a biblical structure. 
Everywhere Paul went and planned churches, elders he established, it's always plural. He appointed elders. He appointed elders. There is safety in a multitude of counselors. When you've got a lone ranger out there who won't listen to anybody and will not submit themselves to the counsel of other godly leaders, that's a danger. That's how cults get started. And you need to be in a church that at least is, is striving to model what the New Testament teaches. And that's hopefully what we, we desire to do and certainly want to do that in a much, always in a better uh, way. But there is safety in the multitude of counselors. The way of a fool seems right to him, Proverbs twelve fifteen. But a wise man, a wise woman listens to advice. You know people in your life? who just don't listen. They just don't listen. And if you say, if you do this, this is what will happen. Oh, no, 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 not me. I'm the only person in the universe that that won't happen to. And guess what? Bing, it happens. And you refrain from saying, I told you so. <laughs> but you love it. It feels so good, you know. You just, your flesh just relishes when you can say that. I read a story about a woman, and this should remind us about who we seek out for counsel. Uh, a woman was driving through the mountains west of Denver when she ran into a snowstorm. She was completely lost and then uh, looked ahead and saw a snowplow. And she decided to follow it and kept as close to the machine as she could while it removed snow from the road. At times, the blowing snow almost cut off her view, but her faithful guide ahead of her kept leading the way. After some time, the plow stopped, and its driver got out and walked over to the car, and he said, Lady, where are you going? She said, I'm on my way to Denver. And he replied, Well, you're never going to get there following me because I'm plowing a parking lot. (laughs) So the point is, be careful who you hitch your wagon to, all right? Is that called mixing metaphors? Okay, all right. Fourth principle, fourth principle is the timing right for this decision. Is the timing right for this decision? Proverbs 19.11, a man's, and when it says man, it's using man in a generic sense, ladies, uh, so uh, a man, a woman's wisdom gives them patience. Worst decisions of my life often come as a result of impatience, impulsive. Got to act now. Got to decide now. I have learned at 55 and a half, I feel like I'm 12 and a half, you know, 55 and a half years of age, that when somebody is trying to get me to buy something, the more they pressure me, the more resistant I get. Because when I start to feel that pressure to make a decision, I had just this little voice says, pull back. Don't make a decision impulsive. See, the, the um, grocers and the Walmarts and the Targets and the Publix and all these people have learned something. That's why they put all those items that you did not come in there to buy all right there at the cashier. And those are referred to as the impulsive uh, items. Uh, You're standing there in line, buying your milk and bread, and you thought, why didn't it occur to me that I need cherry lip gloss? (laughs) Or a new lighter. Or some new, you know, it's like you're just sitting there thinking, how can I live without that item right there? Usually it's the Hershey's and the Snickers that are calling my name, all right? So, but those are meant for you to grab a few of those and put them on the deal. That's the impulsiveness that they're counting on. And there's multi, I mean, that's huge money of that impulsiveness. Well, those are trivial things. Uh, thankfully, they're not putting flat screen TVs and, you know, uh, iPads up there. Uh, it'd be dangerous. But, but we need, that's why... Remember Jesus told his disciples to watch and pray? So many, oftentimes I would, I've made bad choices and said, well, you know what, it, it caught me off guard. That really isn't an excuse for a believer. Because Jesus said you need to always be on your guard. 
You need to always be ready. You need to watch and pray. You should, you should be stored up with God's word and his wisdom so when those moments of pressure come, you're not prone to give in in an impulsive, bad decision. Oftentimes, the timing. How many of us could say, I'm so glad that I, I did not do this because as I later learned a month or two down the road, something happened. Or it may have happened that made that decision a godly decision, a godly timing, but it was a timing here and not here. And if I had circumvented the middle part of that process, you know, again, it, it's sometimes it's not always, it's not a heaven or hell decision, but it's a, it's a quality decision of how God works in our life and what's best. We need to be careful and use and be aware that is the timing right for this decision. Some of you have, may have never heard or not have heard of Alan Redpath, who was a saint who's in heaven now, and, and, uh, and his commentary on Joshua found this quote a while back, and it was applicable here. Alan Redpath, in his commentary on Joshua, says this, "'When voices tell you that action is urgent,' that something must be done immediately, refer everything to the tribunal of heaven. Then, if you are still in doubt, dare to stand still. If called on to act and you have not had time to pray, don't act. If you are called on to move in a certain direction and can't wait until you have peace with God about it, don't move. Be strong enough and brave enough to dare to stand and wait on God, for none of them that wait on him shall ever be ashamed. Sometimes, and I I thought about Paul. Remember when Paul said, talking about that thorn in the side, and he said, I've asked the Lord three different times to remove whatever that was. He called it, it was named a messenger of Satan. He asked God three different times. And what was God's answer? My grace is sufficient. What was he saying? Paul you just stand and trust me. Yeah, but God, I, 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 no, no, no. Just stand, wait, trust me. The timing will be right. Fifth principle, how will this decision impact others? First Corinthians 8.13, just a snippet here from a larger context, the debate and issue was over and again, I have to, time doesn't allow me to get into the whole issue in the early church and between the, the eating of meat that was sacrificed to animals and whether it was spiritually unclean or not. That's kind of what's going on here in 1 Corinthians 8.13. And the New Living Translation says, Paul is saying, if what I eat is going to make another Christian sin, uh, I'll never eat meat again, for I don't want to make another Christian stumble. There's a principle behind that. Uh, we just say, well, you know what? I'm free in Jesus to do this. Well, if you're so free to do it, be so free not to do it. Now, can I say something about booze and alcohol? The issue is not drinking alcohol. That's not the point. But if you're using your freedom in a way that is not to the benefit of someone who does not have that same view in freedom, you might just need to order some sweet tea. Instead of being such a legalist with your freedom that you're going you're gonna to drink and shove it down their throat because you're free. And if they don't like it, well, you know what? That's their problem. That's the wrong attitude. The issue is not about alcohol. The issue is about using your freedom that is not prefer your brother or sister over your own self. Does that make sense? That's free. I won't charge you for that one there. So how does that decision impact other people? A wise decision takes into those considerations. You know, sometimes we've made choices regarding job changes, all those things, and and, uh, this in no way to the Hafners am I intending this to be towards you. I just wanted to clarify. That's a little humor there, okay? Because I know they pray. I know they love the Lord. But sometimes people in, in our lives, and our own self, we have made decisions that have impacted children and other people, and even people who get mad at the church and run off and go into another church. And the process, and, and I'm not speaking about the people that are leaving now because I know where they're going, okay? <laughs> what timing? 
Regis has a job he has to go to. That's why he gets up every Sunday. I, I just irritate him at a at certain time every Sunday. But how does that change affect my children? Sometimes people have made changes that have uprooted their kids in a very healthy spiritual environment because mom and dad made these choices, and it could be a whole host of mitigating factors, but it impacted their children in a negative way that maybe wasn't a good choice. Maybe should have... Making more money shouldn't always be the top priority of your decision-making. Sometimes God may have you stay in a place for a season and a time because that's where he's called you to be. And sometimes the process he uses that may be sacrificial. That just may be. But again, that's why we're talking about you need to pray. You need to seek counsel. You need to ask God's wisdom on that. How will it impact? Six is do I have enough information to make this decision? Proverbs sixteen twenty five. There is a way that seems right to a man, to a woman. But in the end, it's death. There's a way that seems right. Well, this just makes sense. It's the theology of Debbie Boone. Mike knows what I'm saying. You light up my life. Because, remember that song? And the line, how could it be wrong when it, finish it, when it feels... You know, time is of the essence and I don't want to lose what minimal anointing is left here. Um, I have just by, just there's a scripture, and you think, what's that Joshua scripture doing up there? Uh, and, and, and it's an interesting little story because Joshua, you know, led the children of Israel into the, the new land, the promised land. And of course, you know, there were people living there already. And what happened was there was some deception through, from this group called the Hivites, and they were seeking to make an alliance with Israel but it was through deceptive means, and it created a bunch of issues and problems. And, he, and, the, and the verse there, verse uh, Joshua 9.14, gives a little commentary on what happened. It says, the men of Israel took some of their provisions. In other words, they made covenant with, the, with this deceptive group that was really an enemy. Why? Because they did not ask counsel of the Lord. And they paid, they paid a price for that. We need to make decisions based upon all the information. Uh, it is helpful to find out, do I have, have I, have I rounded out? Have I gotten counsel from godly leaders? Have I looked at the word? Have I talked to people I respect? Do, I'm, do I have the right information of what I'm getting into? The Bible uh, quotes in Proverbs eighteen thirteen: he who answers before listening, that is his folly and their shame. Proverbs verse 17 of chapter 18, the first to present his case seems right till another comes forward and questions him. You ever had that? You you walk away convinced, and then somebody else comes along and gives another angle and says, well, they're right. And then somebody else comes along, well, I I see their point too. Next thing you know, get the information. And when you have it all, say, Holy Spirit, help me navigate. That's one of my favorite words growing up along the water. Help me navigate this decision. Number seven, how can I, can I make this decision with pure motives? James 3.15, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and motivated by the devil. But the wisdom, verse 17, that comes from heaven is first of all purer than peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Our court system in jails are full of people who made bad choices and bad decisions out of impure motives. We are the most litigious group of people. If you slip and fall on a banana at Aldi, that's a lawsuit. You've got commercials going all the time here in the state of Florida, everywhere really now, that are basically encouraging you to find a reason to sue somebody. Is my motive pure? Number eight, can I live with the consequences of this decision? Proverbs 22.3, a prudent person foresees the danger ahead and takes precautions, the simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. How many of you know what the pottery factory rule is? 
If you break it, you own it. David was a man, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. But he made some stupid, foolish decision that impacted others. And to this day, we live with the consequences. Abraham made some bad choices that the consequences have followed generations to come. Can I make this decision from a pure motive? Last, number nine, is can I, and this to me really caps it off, can I ask God to bless this decision for his glory? When it's all said and done, does this decision give God glory? 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. The Westminster Shorty Catechism, which is a question-and-answer format that catechisms do, which is part of the Reformed heritage, the Westminster Assemblies and Confessions and all those things. But the Shorter Catechism, the first question, asks this question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is man's chief end, his ultimate end, purpose, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Do you see the connection? When you're glorifying God, when you're pleasing God with your choices and decisions, with your life, when you're glorifying him, guess what? There's joy in that. There's pleasure in that. And you're enjoying God. And he's enjoying you and me because we're glorifying him. Not my will, but thine be done. All that glitters is not gold. Have wisdom Seek wisdom, pursue wisdom. But I'll close with this, this last scripture. The greatest choice and greatest wisdom you can have is knowing Jesus Christ. Look at this scripture, 1 Corinthians one thirty. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Say this together. Who has become for us wisdom from God. He is wisdom. He has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. If you do not know Jesus, you may be smart and brilliant, but you'll never be wise because Jesus is our wisdom. And if we're talking about making decisions God's way, the best decision you can make today is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior.